Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. It's the last episode before the final ranking events of the 2021 season and this week I'm joined by two players who've earned Lakeside World Championship spots through the regional ranking tables. That's Canada's Rory Hansen and Jeremy Fagg from Australia. It's worth noting that the two players have very different likelihoods of actually making the trip over to England, but you'll hear that later on. The first guest is Rory Hansen, who will be making his debut at Lakeside in the new year after winning the Greater Vancouver Open in 2020. And he was in a three-way tie for second in the Canadian table with Matt Campbell and Sean Burt. There was some debate about what the WDF would do, to, to kind of break that tie in the end they've offered invites to all three and Rory was absolutely delighted with the news so we caught up last week to talk qualification for Lakeside having never played darts outside of Canada before whether he's likely to suffer with nerves over in England his walk-on song and nickname benefiting from online darts and much much more I'm now delighted to be joined by Canada's Rory Hansen Rory how are you doing really well Andrew Thank you for having me on here. Great to have you on. Congratulations on sealing qualification for Lakeside. When was it that you actually got the confirmation that you were in the tournament? Well, actually, I just got it about a month ago. It was brought to my attention by a buddy of mine. He was He's really into big watching what WDF is going on and who's been qualified. And he saw my name on there, which I knew my name was on there. But he came on and goes, hey, you made it. And I was kind of weirded out by it because there was Matt Campbell tied with me and then Sean Burt won the Klondike. And I thought at that time, I'm like, oh, I got no chance of this. But then it just came to my attention. And of course, I almost hit the roof when I heard. But that's pretty much how it goes. My friends were more excited than I was, I think. <laughs> so the only Canadian ranking event they've managed to have this year was the the Klondike but you weren't able to to go was that a conscious decision not to travel for it well it was it was a hard thinking of it I was kind of I knew if I didn't go to it that made my chances a little slim but during during work and my wife not really you know with all COVID and everything traveling was a little bit scary at the time because numbers were jumping all over the place but I kind of just made the conscious decision. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to skip out on this one. And it kind of hurt to miss it, that's for sure. So you got in through your win at the, the Greater Vancouver Open last year. With the yes. lockdowns and everything over the last 18 months, were you aware that the points from last year were still valid and that you were still in contention? Not at all, actually. The whole for the Greater Vancouver Open, winning that... They told me I had an invite to the World Masters in the Netherlands. So that, to me, was big enough as a jump as it is because I've had a few friends go over there and I've, I've never gotten an opportunity to try out any of this. So it was that was what I was shooting for, that I knew I had the World Masters event in butt. But then it was brought to my attention, I guess, closer to the beginning of this year somebody brought up the WDF world ranking and that's when I found out I actually had a contention 
Well, it's worked out well for you. You were saying you've not had the, the opportunity to do a World Masters or anything before. Have you played darts outside of Canada before? I've never been out of Canada before, not to play darts. I've been out of Canada down through the States, but I've never had the opportunity to play darts. So my whole dart experience has basically been pretty much the West Coast of Canada, from here, from British Columbia to Alberta. And the chance that I played in a Canadian Nationals over in Saskatoon and uh, Saskatchewan. That's pretty much as far as I have my darting adventure in the day. Okay. So when you come over, how do you think you're going to cope with the, the jet lag? Oh, the jet lag, I don't think I'll have much of a problem with. I think it's going to be more the nerves. Being up on a stage, because I don't have I don't have my family back in me, like being able to come over, like my wife or anything. So I think the nerves of being on stage for the first time is what's going to really get to me. Hmm. But I'm confident enough in the way I throw. I'm hoping I can at least perform. I know some of the top guys are coming, and some of the Canadians I know that are coming are pretty tough as well. So, so is I'm it? Excited. Yeah, of course. But it, do I understand from that that you're going to be coming over on your own? Yes. Yeah. With the short notice of the tournament, I the only way I can make it is come over on my own. It's quite an expensive trip to travel. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, especially with the. Canadian dollar not being as much as the pound, right? So it was kind of last minute decision. Talked to my boss. I said, Hey, I made the world championships. Can I go? And he goes, Well, yeah, are you gone yet? And I'm like, uh, Nope, but I am. Right? Kind of flirted with the thing, going, Hey, if I do really well, I might not come back. And he goes, oh, I'll just get over there first and try it and see what happens. So, what is the, what is the day job for you then? I'm a, I'm a driver for a temp agency. I pretty much drive guys to their jobs and then pay them out afterwards. Huh. It's not it's not a very physical demanding job, and it actually gives me a lot of time during the day that I get the practice starts. So yeah. it's one of those perfect jobs where you can just say, hey, I'm going to a dark tournament. And they're like, okay, bye. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're, you're going to be one of, in theory at least, one of four Canadians coming over for the World Championship yourself. Dave Cameron, yeah. Sean Burt, and then Darlene Van Sluen. So how well do you know those other guys coming over? Well, David Cameron, he's a, he's a pretty big name in Canada. Like almost anybody that plays darts in Canada knows Dave Cameron. Now, Sean Burt, I've met him a few times in Alberta and through a couple other tournaments, and this was quite a few years back. But I know of him quite well, and I know the gentleman that he beat at the Klondike quite well. And so it was, I'll have somebody I semi-know when I get there, so I'm not totally alone. And, of course, I've been already on the phone texting with Dave Cameron, finding out all the travel details, how he's done it. So he's been very helpful that way. That's good. In previous years, when you were younger, was Lakeside and the World Championship something you would watch on the TV? Oh, yes. I Ever since I got into darts, I've always been watching professional. I've been watching the lakeside. I've watched pretty much everything that I could possibly do with darts. Just in the back of my head, knowing that, you know, I live on a small island. I never knew how could I ever get to that point. But, uh, yeah, I've watched all the names, like, back in the days of Bob Anderson and Bristow and all those guys. Those were all brought to my attention. Coming over, playing on a big stage for the first time, have you 
set yourself any expectations for the event? Um, my expectation is basically I would love to make it through the first round. I've been practicing, practicing as much every day as I possibly can, trying to play live as much. Live around here is not of abundance. Like, I don't get to go to tournaments or get that travel, but online darts have been the biggest thing lately. That's what's brought my game to a new level, I guess you could say, because I've actually got a chance to play all the top players now, and I know exactly where my darts lie. So if I can just keep bringing that, I think I have a pretty good shot, at least getting past the first round. Oh, I know British Columbia has been had it quite hard with the, the pandemic, uh, along with a couple of the other provinces in, in Canada. Are local competitions and local leagues up and running again where you are? I've actually, I'm the one that got them up and running. I'm the president of our men's league in town here, which is the Capital City Men's Dart Association. I stood up. Um, the past president of the league moved away. So there was nobody really to pick darts back up. And nobody was really to stand up. So I stood up, got the dart league going, and we somehow got half our league back. And we've been running for about the last month and a half now which has been really good for the for the leagues getting up and people understanding that, hey, we can still play. I mean, you, you talk about the online stuff. I know you've been playing a lot in the, the Dark Players Florida League with the likes of yeah. Jules Van Dong and, and Jake Taylor and stuff. How much yeah. has that and, you know, other competitions, you know, improved your game, you know, both in terms of what you're throwing but also mentally? Oh, 100%. You never know how good you are until you actually play somebody up in that standard. This Florida League I got into with Jacob Taylor, Jason Brandon, another really strong American player. Never got the chance to play Leonard Gates. He was in my group, but for some reason our timing never got to play. Some other really great American players in there. Um, uh, Sean Burt, who beat um, Stanley Harmon, in the Klondike to get where he was. He was in our group, another really good Canadian player. But that brought my game from, uh, what would I say, from not nobody to somebody everybody now knows. Right? I think my game has improved 100% since the online world hit. And plus, you get to know all the bigger players, where in life you might never ever played them before. Now, here you are. You're getting to play the top guys, right? And I've had nothing but a blast. Every every one of these guys that I've not met in real life are perfect people online. Like, they're gentlemen. They're, they'll sit there and they'll talk with you. It's been just a blast. One thing I've noticed when watching the, the Dark Players Florida, they're long games. I think it's best of 22 legs, most of the games. Yes. So yes. do you think having had quite a lot of experience with that longer format is going to prepare you well for the World Championship, where oh. best of three sets, best of five sets. Oh, perfect. When I heard that's what the format was, that was like the highlight. Because of every other tournaments I've heard over there, going to like the World Masters, you get a best out of seven. It's like, well, you better be on. You don't have any room for error. Where a longer format, you get those couple of games of error to get yourself warmed up to the situation get your nerves out, get everything shaken off, and then even if you're behind a couple of games, you have that many games to get back. Hmm. So the longer format, I think, is the perfect way to 
get myself out there, I guess I'd say, that gives me a better shot. So mm, yeah. it gives me that couple games to shake it off, get the nerves gone, and then get to the game, right? Yeah. And plus, you get into a rhythm, you can go for 15, 20 minutes and be unstoppable. Yeah, definitely. So, kind of touched on it already, you're, you qualified through your win at the, the Greater Vancouver Open, but there's not a tremendous amount of knowledge over this side of the Atlantic about the scene in, in Canada and America. So, is, is the GVO a big competition in the Canadian scene? It is. It's probably the, it's the biggest tournament on the West Coast that we have. We have people from Nova Scotia coming over here from the East Coast. Jeff Smith has come over to it. A lot of big names like Jim Long has been here. Dave Cameron has come over here. So, yeah, that's to win that competition at the time that I won it was like, I guess what you say, a lot of the bigger players didn't have a chance to come over to that because of other tournaments interfering with it. Uh, Jeff Smith being over doing the PDC tour, so on and so forth. It opened up a big spot for a lot of other players to make it through that tournament. And it just happened I got a good draw through that tournament. And I shot really well. And, you know, luck was just on my side that day. And it seemed like everything else after that point has been a great experience or has helped my my step forward, I guess, what you could say. Hmm. And I know you'd won some local competitions. I think the Salmon Harvest Open you'd won a couple yep. of times in British Columbia. But that was your first WDF title. And you won it thanks to a win in the final over Sean Smith. Was yes. that a close game, that final? It was. It was a very close game. Me and Sean have had some pretty major battles over the last couple of years. Um, uh, I played him. I beat him in the Salmon Harvest over here. We got into a close match. So every pretty much every time me and Sean have come up together, it's been really close. And I've just, I guess, I've always edged him out. I guess that's what helped me out in the GBO was playing Sean, you know. But, yeah, like I said, a lot of these local tournaments, the Sabbath Harvest, the we have a couple on British Columbia, like the, which one is it, the Kamloops Tournament. These are all small-time tournaments. You get basically maybe 48 guys coming out to it, and there's always the same guys that you see. And when you see the same guys, it's a... You know who you can win against, who you can't win against, who you have a better shot against, so on and so forth. So when me and Sean were playing, I just, I seemed to have the upper hand that day. <laughs> it's worked out well for you. So looking yeah. looking back then, how did you originally get into the sport? Um, it was kind of, uh, my parents got me into it, kind of. They got me into a youth league back when I was about 12 years old, and I played a couple of years in a youth league but this was in a small village called Shawnigan Lake which is about 45 minutes from where I'm at now did a couple of years there and then there was nothing and then when I turned 19 which then I was allowed to enter a bar me and my mother was up at the local legion and there was about 10 people throwing darts in the back room so I looked at my mom and I said hey you mind if I just go and give it a try so I went back there ended up winning against a whole bunch of people and two guys from their dart league there picked me up threw me under their wing kind of and once they did that they taught me everything I needed to know about darts and I guess I just never let it down 
it was kind of from the age of 19 till now, I've been just constantly throwing darts and trying to support the support the game as much as I can to get other people into it. Hmm. What sort of position is the scene in Canada in right now? Do you think it's moving in an upward trajectory or do you think there's been some decline because of the pandemic? You know what? I think it's still increasing. With the introduction to the CDC in North America, the players toward the North American Championships, I think it's given people more of something to shoot for. They held uh, an online qualifier for the Q School for the championships, North American championships here, which I never got a chance to play in because for some reason I had a surgery to go and do, so I missed out on it. But with having our own little pro tour here in Canada and North America and the States, it gives people a lot more to shoot for. It's not just going to local tournaments and that's all you do. We've actually heightened the sport here and give players something to shoot for. Hmm. So what darts do you use at the moment? Talk to me about your equipment. Well, for years now, I was using a set of Dave Chisnell darts. That's 24 gram Dave Chisnells that I picked up in Alberta about 11 years ago. Picked those up and I started playing and it heightened my game a little bit. But just over the last six months here, I've now picked up a set of um, Trinidad darts. I'm using the Chandler uh, excerpts, and I've also been using the Condor Axe flight system, which I before I was using the L style. Then once I got into the Condor Axe, that was introduced to me. I never turned back. They just seem to be the best best fit for me. Hmm. When you're over in the UK, the dates for a Q school line up well with the world championship are you looking to stay for a little bit longer to do q school you know a lot of my friends here are pushing me for that but the way i the way i look at it it's all going to depend how i feel when i'm playing in the lakeside that'll show me where i stand like if i go up on stage for the first time and just get totally annihilated i think i would be in the right frame of mind to try the pdc school or the go to the q school but it's every dark player's dream. I'm over there. If I can somehow pull, build my confidence up through Lakeside, I might just give it a shot. And you never really know where you fit in until you give it a try. Exactly. A couple of last things. Obviously, you'll be making your televised debut. So, yeah. key to that, a nickname and a walk-on song. So, first off, have you got a nickname that we're going to be hearing? Well, I've kind of gone with the word relentless. Uh, the reason why I picked that one up was I was reading, uh, going through the internet, looking for names, and I saw relentless on a book cover. And it said relentless to good to great to unstoppable. And it just kind of fit the way I thought about things because I was the low man on the totem pole here in, in, on Vancouver Island in the dark world. And then I just slowly started building up to the part now where I'm one of the top players that Vancouver Island's got. So it just kind of stuck with me. And walk-on song, I'm still hunting. <laughs> I'm like, that's one of the things where I was told, you want to get the crowd on your side, make sure you have a good walk-on song. <laughs> so I'm still hunting. 
<laughs> are there any early front runners for the walk-on song or are you playing your cards close to your chest um i'm kind of i don't know i'm not too sure like i've seen a couple like growing up i was also always a part of the punk era like punk rock and stuff like that but then listening to all the walk-on songs it all of a sudden changed my mindset right haven't heard too many people coming out with rock songs too much so a lot of it was dance songs or something the crowds could get caught up with so kind of i'm, I'm stuck in a rock and a hard place kind of. <laughs> well i'm sure you'll you'll work it out by the time you come over yeah. well thank you so much rory for your time today i really appreciate no. it and i look forward to uh, seeing you at lakeside in january uh, i'm looking forward to meeting you as well and thank you for very much having me on here I really enjoyed that chat with Rory. He's a lovely guy. He seems a very down-to-earth chap. He's got a humble attitude. And from the online games of his that I've watched here and there, he seems a very steady player. If he can kind of tackle the nerves that he spoke about, I think he'll give anybody a tough game in that first round. It was actually quite funny because about an hour after we finished recording, he actually had settled on a walk-on song. So he'll be coming out to Unstoppable by the score which I think is a quite a good choice. And I like his choice of Relentless for a nickname. It's obviously going to be tough for him coming over to the World Championships on his own from the West Coast to Canada. Um, but because of that commitment, I'm definitely going to be rooting for him to, to do well. And I imagine other people will be as well because uh, he's a top bloke. The second guest on this week's show is Queensland's Jeremy Fagg. A run to the semi-finals of the North Queensland Classic in September and a final at the Challenger Classic in mid-November, left him second overall in the Australian regional ranking table at the end of the season, and as such, gave him an invite to the World Championships in January. When we caught up last week, he outlined the two main reasons why it's unlikely he'll actually be able to take that offer of a place up. I'm now delighted to be joined by Australia's Jeremy Fagg. Jeremy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good to have you on. You recently finished as runner-up in the Challenger Classic in Birkdale. You beat Robbie King in the semis before losing to Raymond Smith in the final. How did you feel you played last weekend? Yeah, I was pretty happy with my performance. Uh, we actually had uh, four days of darts. Um, uh, Queensland darts put that on uh, because the Australian Championships was uh, postponed and cancelled in the end from uh, with COVID and everything. So... Yeah, they put on a, a challenge for some rookies that were in the Queensland team and we, we battled it out for a few days and the Challenger Classic was on a Sunday. So, um, yeah, I had a, had a good four days and uh, playing Ray in the final was um, was a bit of a revenge match because he got me on the Saturday. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't didn't get him back on the Sunday, but I uh, still enjoyed, enjoyed the match and, and was happy with my performance. Things have been pretty difficult this year in Australia with the, the lockdowns and everything like that. So was it nice to have like a, a four-day festival where you got a lot of darts in when for most of the year you haven't been able to? Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, me being in Queensland, we've, we've had some restrictions and uh, darts got proposed, uh, postponed a few times, but uh, we've still been able to play uh, mostly at club level. Obviously, we couldn't travel interstate or overseas. Um, but, yeah, it was good to... Um, get uh, a great amount of talent in the one room and um, get back to a normal tournament 
uh, in the way they're speaking. But yeah, no, it was definitely um, it was definitely good to get back at the hockey and, and play um, a normal tournament against people. That was actually the the sixth WDF ranking final you've been to. Not got over the line yet, so you hoping it's going to be seventh time lucky next year? Yeah, I seem to uh, seem to play well right up to the final, and then um, in in the finals a couple of times I played really well, but the opposition has just been um, a little bit better. Um, but I always look at the positives. You know, sometimes it's hard work getting to the final, and and um, it's. The games before that can sort of drain you a little bit, depending on the opposition and, and how you're feeling. But, um, yeah, I always look at the positives, and getting to a final is an, an achievement. And I'm sure with uh, more training and all that sort of stuff and practice, I'll get, I'll get one under the belt, and then I think it'll just roll on from there. One thing you did win this year, though, you won one of the DPA satellite tour events in Queensland, which was obviously... Good, but I didn't seem to see your name in the lineups for the the Oceanic Masters or the Satellite Tour Finals. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the last event, DPA, I, I got the win. Um, then I think the DPA was either the Oceanic was either the weekend after or the, or two weeks after. But um, for us here, there's still a little bit of um, the travel from from Australia uh internationally still a little bit up in the air and there's some questions still to be asked so that was one of the reasons why i didn't want to play um and have a spot from somebody else that really wants to go i mean i, I want to go but there's still a lot of positives and negatives about so i suppose this is going to lead into what i was going to ask now your performances in the challenger classic and you got to the semis of the north queensland classic a few months ago that's got you a spot at lakeside in january but am I taking it from that that getting over here and the travelling from Australia is going to prove a problem for you? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I know that uh, Darts Australia a while back and Darts Queensland um, had, had discussed it and I, I believe that they um, aren't sending anyone over. So if I was to go over, it would be mostly off my own back. Um, and with all the restrictions and um, the international travel and, and all the things, all the hoops you've got to jump through to get there it makes it extremely difficult and extremely expensive as well Mm, of course so have you made a decision yet on whether you will come or not or are you trying to wait until as late as possible to to make that call um it was still up in the air about going um the only other thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks is i've actually done some damage to my shoulder um so even the um challenger classic last weekend been playing with um, some shoulder problems, so I mean that that was another positive to to have issues with my shoulder and still make finals and and play well. Um, you know that's an achievement in itself. So there's a couple of things going on at the moment um, between the international travel and and the injury. Um, but yeah, still a little bit up in the air whether I can come or or um, I give it a miss and hopefully qualify another time. And with that that shoulder, is that your throwing arm? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, a few years ago, I um, I caused uh, damage to my tendon. I split my tendon, um, and then the last uh, two or three weeks, I felt that I'd done something similar, but uh, it felt a bit strange. And then Wednesday, I went and had some scans and all that, and I've actually torn it right through and got a couple of other little issues with the bursa and the lubrication second as well. So. Got a meeting with a, a few doctors and specialists to see what we're going to do and the best option. Oh, jeez. 
And was that was that a work related injury or did you pick that up playing darts? Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure how I did it. I uh, I basically won it, woke up one morning and my shoulder was a bit sore and I thought I, oh, you know, as most men do, I thought oh, it'll go away. And after a week or two, it didn't. <laughs> I went and seen a doctor and yeah, obviously had scans and yeah, somehow I I torn it and um, yeah, done some damage. Oh, crikey, mate. Well, hopefully the, the meetings with the, the consultants and stuff work out and, and you can get the issue sorted. And obviously, you, you haven't made a decision yet. I can kind of get the sense of, of what that decision will be. But in a general sense, what does it mean to you that you have done enough this year to qualify for a world championship? Uh, it means a lot. Um, when I first started playing darts, you know, you, you always set goals, especially... You know, when I started, I, I got real hungry real quick on darts. It sort of, uh, I just loved the game. I loved playing it, loved the competition and all that sort of stuff. So the more I played, you know, met better players and, and got advice and, and I seen what other players got to and what they could achieve. And and um, Lakeside was one of them because uh, when I first started playing darts, I was actually living in Townsville where uh, Tony David, the 2002 uh, winner, was based. So I, I spent a lot of time with him training and practicing and, and learning from him. Um, so, yeah, mate, it's, it's just one of them goals I've always had and, and to achieve that qualification was um, something special. Yeah. Just come the, the worst possible year and the worst possible time for you. Yeah, that's right, unfortunately. But uh, like I've said to a couple of people that, I mean, if I can qualify once, um, if I train hard and and do everything I'm supposed to do well then hopefully I'm good enough to create that opportunity and more in the future and you mentioned when you first got into darts you were really hungry really quickly when did you actually first start playing I actually started um, when I was 17 I played you know just the, the local club in Townsville uh, worked my way up through C grade A reserve into A grade and all that sort of stuff um, then after a couple of years I started playing the opens and you know, the, the more I played and the more competition I got, you know, the, the more I just enjoyed it. I mean, enjoying the game, but I also enjoyed meeting all the people. And, you know, you always read about certain players and getting to meet them and watch them throw and learn from them. Um, yeah, just in, it's inspiring. Of course. And have you always been based in Queensland then? Yeah, especially uh, dart-wise. I started in North Queensland and then uh, three years ago I moved down to Brisbane. A uh, bit of a change of scenery and change of lifestyle, and and uh, obviously kept playing darts. And Brisbane just gave me a little bit more opportunity to showcase um, what I had. And obviously, you know, travelling and all that become easier and cheaper because I was up further north, so it was quite expensive to travel interstate and all that sort of thing. Since you started playing, have you have you taken any breaks from the sport at any times? Yeah, it was actually uh, when Tony. Uh, one uh, Lakeside in 2002. Uh, that was actually, I had a break for a year. Um, I didn't actually know that Tony went over. I went to work one morning and uh, the lads at work, uh, they, they knew I played darts and they said, oh, did, did you see the paper today? Did you know, do you know this lad? And I said, oh, show me. When they showed me the back of the paper, there was Tony holding up the, the trophy and I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. It wasn't long after he got home, I caught up with him and yeah, congratulated him. Made a, you know, 
Australia's world champion. That's that's what we want. Am I right in thinking that you've also played a fair bit of soft tip over the years as well? Yeah, um, I was playing a little bit up in Townsville, but it was a it was a bit hard. Not many people um, took to it up there. But down in Brisbane, I um, I played down at um, and they call it Ipong, which is um, I darts. So uh, I've been playing in the league there, and uh, you know, July I think I won uh, a competition, which got me um, sponsorship to go one to one of the the world events when that um, kicks off, hopefully next year. Hmm. And is there I don't know is there a difficulty between playing soft tip and switching back to steel and back and forth, or is it a nice break of pace for you? Yeah, I think it's a nice break actually um, between. The two games, I mean, soft tip's a little bit different. There's noise and everything like that. Um, and, you know, the board lights up. Soft tip, there's lighter darts and, and things like that. But it's also a good break. It's, it starts, but just in a different way. So, um, yeah, it's good from just, you know, throwing normal darts to, to play soft tip. It sort of keeps me interested. And um, practice-wise, with soft tip, you, you play a lot of cricket and 701 and shooting a bullseye, which is... Is uh, sort of things I have in my practice routine, so it works out well for me. So over the years, for you, what would you say has been your proudest moment in darts? Uh, for me, um, definitely representing the club um, when I was in Townsville um, and the clubs down here that I've, when I moved down to Brisbane, but also representing my state. Um, I also represented Australia uh, a couple of times with DPA against New Zealand, um, but also... Uh, when it, at the Australian Championships, I won the doubles, and then in 2019, I won the Australian singles. They were pretty, pretty high up there moments. I was wondering if you were going to say a few years ago when you played in in the international showdown series and you got to take on Phil Taylor. Oh yeah, good, good thing you reminded me about that because <laughs> I had forgotten all about it. But yeah, that that's definitely a highlight, um, and more so because when I played. Uh, Jamie Harvey on the first night and Phil Taylor on the second night. That was actually in Townsville where where I first started and where all my dart friends were. So um, it was a great experience for me, but it was also a great experience for all the people that had seen me um, from the first night I showed up to the club playing to, to experience what I did seeing Taylor and, and Kyle Anderson in my hometown was great. So I suppose just to, just to wrap up, the, the lakeside places for the men this year were... You and, and Ray Smith, obviously Ray's going to be off to Alexandra Palace, so then that would open it out to, to Donovan Lottering, who's third, and he's also a Queenslander. Have you spoken to Donovan about qualification and stuff? Uh, no, I hadn't. I actually um, seen Donovan last weekend, but I, um, we never really got a chance to um, talk about um, what he was planning to do or... Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure, to be honest, but... Um, I mean, we were, we were on separate boards and everything last weekend, so um, I'm not sure if he's uh, looking at going or he's thinking um, the international travel is too hard. Um, that's something, you know, that he, every indi- it's up to the individual at the moment. So, I mean, I'm not sure what his, what his plans are. Well, I hope, you know, obviously I hope you're able to come over, but I know that's probably not going to be likely, but... If that's the case, I wish you well for, for next year, Jeremy, and thank you for your time today. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, thanks for reaching out and uh, making contact. And, yeah, if I, if I don't come this year, hopefully I'm, uh, I've got my injury sorted and I'm 
back on the board and bigger and better next year and I get to take that opportunity again. It's a real shame for Jezza that probably isn't going to be able to come over in January because I think he would have surprised a few people. He's got real ability. He posted a 106 average in one of the Australian comps earlier this year. He's played one in some of the online stuff I've seen, but the injury and the COVID travel restrictions are just a dreadful double whammy for him. But still, six finals in Australian ranking events over the last few years and him being an Australian national singles champion showed his ability. And fingers crossed, he can get that shoulder sorted out and pick up where he left off in 2022 and hopefully get another world championship place when that season comes to an end if he can't make it in January. Aside from Rory and Jeremy, a number of other players mathematically sealed their places over the last weekend during the last Eastern European and American ranking events of the season. On Saturday, we saw the Czech Open take place, and it's always one of the biggest events on the WDF calendar. There are over 350 men taking part and 90 women. Silver-graded competition, and the men's tournament was won by Belgium's Andy Bartons. He came through three consecutive last-leg deciders with Thomas Junghans, Lee Schuen, and Nick Fulwell before beating recent guest Mark Borelli 5-0 in the final. I enjoyed the quality of the stream from the weekend. I thought it was really good. And Barton's has got really smooth darts, which I thought seemed quite interesting, but not sure how I'd get on with them. But he's obviously doing very well with them. Third title of the year for him. And he's now provisionally into the top eight seeds for Lakeside in January. He's a very dangerous player. He's a great power scorer, but often lets himself down on the doubles but if he can hit them at least at a reasonable clip and the scoring's there he's going to be a very dangerous player and certainly one to watch and maybe worth an outside bet as I mentioned Mark Barilli got to the men's final and that run puts him into the top 25 of the ranking so that more or less seals him a return to Lakeside in January while Italy's Francesco Rossini also got more points on the board so his debut at the World Championships is more or less confirmed the key thing to be decided at the Czech Open was the Eastern European Regional Ranking Table. Top of that, going into the event, were Romania's Laszlo Kadar and the Polish thrower Sebastian Steyer. Both of them suffered early exits in the Czech Open and that opened the door for some of the trailing pack to catch them. Uh, but in the end, no one was able to. Patrick Kovac from Hungary, the WDF Virtual Cup champion, he was closest. But he went out in the last 64 without scoring any points. Uh, and the last person who had a chance to catch them was Pero Lubic from Croatia. But he lost in the last eight to Dave Prins. A win for Pero would have got him in, but in the end, uh, defeat to Prins saw his hopes ended for this year. And that means that Kadar and Steyer will be making lakeside debuts in January. The women's competition was won by Dieter Hedman, who continues her brilliant form in 2021. It was her sixth title of the year. And to be fair, she had to work pretty hard for it. She had to come from behind to beat Laura Turner 5-4. It was a great game by both women. Both averaged close to and over 90 for most of the game before Laura missed six match starts and opened the door for Dieter to take the title. Dieter, that was her final event of the year, and she now has 980 points on the board, which confirms her as the top seed for the World Championships. Should Fallon Sherrick pull out of the World Championships, which is definitely a possibility. She's scheduled for a gala in Germany during Lakeside 
And of course, there's Q school after that, which you never know, she might not even need to do if she does well at the, the World Championship to Ali Pali. But given all the focus and attention on her, it's there's a chance that perhaps a management or perhaps she decides not to play, which is neither here nor there. But if she does pull out, I think it's very hard to see anybody challenging Hedman for that title. She seems to be in such great form at the moment and just on another level to most of the others in the field. But, you know... It's not over till it's over. Can't count anything, but certainly, in my opinion, she'd have to be the favourite going into the tournament. And if she won it, I don't think anybody would begrudge her that title. The Eastern European World Championship qualifier for the ladies' tournament is Hungary's Veronica Ehash. She was leading the, the race by about 30 points going into the final event, so only a few really were needed to, to seal her place. But she made it to the semis where she lost to Hedman. Uh, Veronica was on the show a few months ago. She's a very, very good player. Um, and best of luck to her at Lakeside. I think she'll give a great count of herself. Over in America, they had the bronze-graded Oregon Open and they had quite a depleted field. Not 100% sure why. I think perhaps because the American qualifiers for Lakeside were more or less settled. Maybe that took the sting out. Maybe it being on the West Coast and not having a huge prize fund took the sting out as well. And of course there was a clash with the the Continental Cup which obviously ruled out the top eight Americans through the CDC system who obviously would have been some of the guys in the field in Oregon. Chris Lim was top seed for the men's but he lost 5-0 in the Oregon Open quarterfinals to Carlos Calderon who would go on to lose 6-1 in the final to David Fatum, the Scorpion who's an experienced soft-tip star and paramedic firefighter picked up the fourth WDF title of his career and obviously now has a place at the World Masters for 2022. The ladies Oregon Open only had 15 entrants in the end which was pretty disappointing and my post about the entries prompted a response from Alan Souter on Twitter and his comments tied in with something the England Arts chairman Tommy Thompson posted on Facebook earlier today. There is a worry I think about the 50% rule in the the WDF competitions where the, the female winner has to receive 50% of what the male winner wins. So if a men's open winner gets 2000 the corresponding women's open would have to get £1,000 for the winner and then obviously 50% down from there. The issue arises because of the, the discrepancy in numbers that there's always been. For example, in Oregon you had 67 men 15 women that's a ratio of over four to one now in terms of winners prizes is that fair if you've got a four to one ratio five to one ratio i know in some of the events i know the the russian doubleheader coming up this weekend it's closer to two to one but in some places it's worse than that it's maybe six to one seven to one equality is important and i certainly get why they put the rule in place and, and i agree with it but at the moment i i understand why there is some frustration there and I think what Tommy spoke about, which I totally empathise with, is is how do they incentivise more women to play? The fallon Sherrick effect may well be genuine, but arguably that's something we won't see the benefits of for a few years yet. And what happens in the meantime? You know, even the big Opens in the WDF this year have got fewer than 100 entries for the women. Are they going to respond next year I don't know and of course the clashing next year certainly for some of the gold events with the expanded PDC women's series 
isn't great because I think it dilutes the opportunities on offer for those ladies where in reality it should be about creating more opportunity and more avenues for them to to pick up some money and test their skills rather than having big events on the same weekends. Of course, the you know the PDC have to organise their calendar and there are only so many weekends in the year and the WTF have to do theirs. I understand that, but you would have hoped there would have been some collaboration in that area. But I think participation in the women's events is certainly something to keep an eye on next year and how that 50% rule works will also be something to keep an eye on. As I mentioned, there's the, the Russian doubleheader this weekend in St. Petersburg. Um, and there's also a doubleheader in Italy. There's the silver-graded Italian Grandmasters and the bronze-graded Italian Open. There are 212 entries for the men's Italian Grandmasters, 49 for the ladies, 195 for the men's Italian Open, 47 for the women's Italian Open. Those events will settle the ranking tables for 2021, and from there we head to the playoffs on December the 5th. The favourites, I think, in my opinion, for the Italian Grandmasters, you've got Jim Williams and Chris Landman, who are obviously off to, to Ali Pali in mid-December, so they're presumably going to Bologna for a bit of match practice, tournament practice. Um, I think on form, you'd have to look at the likes of John Desramo, the Malta Open champion, James Harrell. He's gone deep in quite a few events this year. Perhaps he wins a title. Dave Prins played really well. Uh, the Czech Open beat some good players before going out in the semis to Mark Barilli. Mark Barilli himself, he's another one's going well. Could he win his second title? And of course, Richard Vainstra, who's always incredibly dangerous. And the favourite for me, I think overall though, is Connor Scott. I think he's come, if he comes close to the level he's produced in the online live league, he'll be absolutely all over it. And that will put him in great stead for Lakeside, where I think he's going to have tremendous value and a tremendous chance of doing very well indeed. Also worth a watch are Lee Schuen, Lancashire, his fellow Lancastrian Jordan Brooks, my main man, Mario van den Bahada, and Catalonia's always dangerous, Martin Marti Santa Maria. Over in the ladies, obviously it's a smaller field as I mentioned, but Aileen de Graaf stands out. I also think Lorraine Hyde's got a good chance of winning another title. Maria O'Brien is always dangerous and she needs the points to firm up her lakeside place. Uh, while Natalie Gilbert, I think maybe this could be the weekend she's been playing well all year, steadily improving. Perhaps this is the weekend where Natalie Gilbert wins a ranking open. I mentioned that the playoffs on the 5th of December, they're split. There's going to be one qualifier in Assen, which is going to have two places for the men and one for the women, and another one at Lakeside. Again, two places for the men, one place for the women. And I do question the wisdom of having it split between the two. There's been, obviously, the news stories about the rioting in Rotterdam over the, the COVID restrictions in the Netherlands. There have been Dutch virologists saying that the new measures aren't having an effect, which, you know, arguably it's too soon to say, but that's a different discussion entirely. But you do have to question whether people are going to travel to the Netherlands, what participation is going to be like at those. I've not seen any numbers yet, but... To my mind, it probably makes more sense to just do one qualifier in one place. Uh, maybe levels the playing field out a bit more. But, you know, WDF have made the decision and I, I understand why. I know they've got a good relationship with the NDB and they want to do something in the Netherlands after losing the World Masters and losing the World Open. But, I don't know. Time will tell. 
In terms of the Lakeside one, at the time of recording, there are 83 men entered and 11 women entered in their qualifier. Some of the interesting names in the men's, you've got former Ali Pali semi-finalist Jamie Lewis, Terry Jenkins, very solid county players like Mike Gillett, Kevin Garcia, Reese Hayden, uh, Scotland International Ryan Hogarth, the experienced Darren Johnson, John Imrie, Ben West. Scott Walters has been playing well in the Live League and some other events I've seen on like Dark Connect and that kind of thing. He's playing really well and is, is someone I'd you know put a couple of quid on. Alan Casey, who's a veteran of local opens and stuff, he's always dangerous. And of course, friends of the show, John Scott and Gary Stafford, they're in the field as well. And I've got a good chance of coming through. And I don't know at this moment in time, not 100% sure yet, but I might even be there myself to play, to report, whatever. I'm not 100% sure yet. Across in the women's, it's only 11, which is quite disappointing, but the two names that stand up to me are Rhiann O'Sullivan of Wales and Denise Cassidy from Northern Ireland. Entries close the end of this week for those, so hopefully you'll be looking closer to maybe 128 for the men, hopefully closer to 30 for the women, but obviously we'll have to keep an eye on that. I'll be back next week covering the final events of the season in Italy and Russia and hopefully three great guests on next week's show thank you very much to Rory and Jeremy for their time and thank you for listening in the meantime you can follow me on Twitter at amsinclair97 you can follow the podcast on Twitter at inside the WDF you can like the Facebook page inside the WDF and you can rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and I'll see you next time